G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. Whenever a monumental visit is about to occur or actually happens, everything can change. In today's program, we're going to see that such a visit is in the offing as we continue in 2 Corinthians. Our series is entitled Heartfelt and Inspired. Understanding 2 Corinthians, a verse-by-verse commentary. This particular epistle, as I've constantly emphasized, is deeply personal, even emotional. It probably is the most of all of the New Testament, and it's coming from an apostle who has paid the highest price to serve God. Oh, the results he's achieved through God, and it couldn't have happened without God, are utterly stunning. He has got to be one of the most influential people who ever walked on this planet. And the secret of the power is that he was prepared to become nothing, that Christ in him, the hope of glory, could be everything that everyone could be reached. This is really the best description I can find of biblical meekness. And friends, again, I commend this character quality to you. In an age where people are thin-skinned, prima donna, narcissistic, easily, easily offended. And furthermore, they're always looking for a fight because of some slight or perceived slight, which is no slight at all, coming their way. Meek people handle things very differently because actually they're not weak at all. They're empowered. They have tapped into God's power. And Paul certainly knows that. He is the one that told us when I am weak then I am strong. But they learn to let God be everything in them, that basically let God arise and his enemies be scattered. They don't worry about themselves, their rights, their reputation, what people think, what people say. Do you know how liberating that is when you're not worried about all these other earthly considerations? It's very liberating. And when you have that power in you, as Paul learned, and he describes his secret of how to change the world in Philippians chapter 3, if he may take hold of Christ as Christ has taken hold of him. And basically let Christ do the heavy lifting, the hard work, and as it were, give the power to win the race. Remember, it's the meek, not the arrogant or the assertive, who will inherit the earth. And this is the reason why. In 2 Corinthians twelve fourteen to 21, Paul is promising that he is ready to come. This is about the third time he says he's ready to come. And with that readiness, he doesn't want to be a burden to the church there at Corinth. He didn't want to be a financial burden to them, even though he uh, has been accused of being crafty and deceitful by his detractors there at Corinth. He is not a burden. And then 
He asks a rhetorical question in verse 17. Did any of those whom I send take advantage of you? Show the evidence if you can. And then he goes on to explain why he sent Titus in the earlier period. Why didn't Paul himself come back and sort things out? And there you have in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 12, a very interesting explanation. Paul refrained from returning to Corinth initially when they had trouble, and that's why he wrote 1 Corinthians, is because he didn't want to come upon them like a ton of bricks. He knew what he was capable of doing. And as a loving father, rather than being as subtle as a sledgehammer, he decided to send Titus and other credible brethren with him so they could do the delicate work of correction of the church in person. And friends, remember something. Everybody needs correction. Everybody. That's why we have a Bible. That's why it's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the Lord. It doesn't even matter how mature you may be. None of us are perfect yet. Correction done in God, done in love, is the most wonderful thing that can happen to us. Remember what Proverbs says, rebuke a scorner, but he and he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Now, you know why? Because he's together, he's got his act in place, and he knows that wisdom is going to make him wiser and wiser still. Part of wisdom is correction. Paul says, I sent the others so they could do the work for me, so that when I come, I can enjoy you as a father to the children. Now we're going to read the entire passage of 2 Corinthians 12, verses 14 to 21. Again, that's 2 Corinthians 12, verses 14 to 21. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. But be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Did I make a gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walk we not in the same spirit? Walk we not in the same steps? Again, think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. For I fear, lest... When I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wraths, strifes, backbiting, whispering, swellings, tumults, and lest, when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already, and have not repented of the uncleanness, and fornication, and lasciviousness which they have committed. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 to 21. Our lesson here is entitled, I am ready to come. And friends, when Paul comes, the corn is going to pop things will happen. So let's begin this verse by verse now. So here in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, this is the third time I am ready to come to you. And I don't want to be a burden to you because after all, it's not the children who have to save up for the parents. It's the parents who save up for the children. So this is the third time he is planning to come. You can read more in 1 Corinthians 16, 5 or 2 Corinthians 1, 
15 and 16. And then he goes on to say that he will not be a financial burden to them. He's not coming to raid the treasury to take care of himself. He's coming to do God's work and to see if it's possible that those who have not yet repented will do so. That's really what he wants. He's not seeking after their money. He says, I am not after your possessions. I am not after your silver or your gold. What I'm seeking is you yourself. As a spiritual father, you do not have to store up things for me. I'm the one that should store up things for you. It's like a parent saves up things in life to grant to their children when that parent passes on. So that is fair enough. But what else do we see here? We see that in verse 15, I will very gladly spend to be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now, when it comes to Christian ministry, and this is a subject I believe I know a fair bit about because I've spent most of my life doing it. Not only that, I've spent much of my life training people to do Christian ministry as well. And it's a mindset that is very much focused on the glory of God. It is a mindset so different to the average working person. And while there have been abuses, the fact is that the Christian minister is never really off duty. 24-7, they are available to do God's bidding. Yes, they should have holidays. Yes, they should have days of rest. Yes, they should have hobbies and recreation for renewal and recreation just to enjoy life. But the thing is, they're very much like a parent in one sense, that they love and they give out. They don't worry or, uh, how should you say, focus on what they're going to get in return. Especially, you know, with parents, when we bestow on our children and grandchildren love and care and even possessions, are we thinking now, I'm doing all this today so that tomorrow I'm going to reap from them even more. I would dare say that is not really on the radar of the average caring, loving parent. Because after all, it is the parents laying up for the children not vice versa. What we see here, though, in verse 15 is, I am willing to spend on you, and I'm also willing to be spent for you. We're willing to pour ourselves out for the good of the church. Strangely, though, the more I demonstrate my love towards you, the less love you give back to me. Because should we leave an inheritance for our children? Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Oh, and P.S., The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Now, an inheritance doesn't just mean money. It means heritage, ability to earn a wage, support in education and child rearing. That's what grandparents can do. (laughs) They support the children as they're raising children. In light of this verse, the increasing indebtedness of Western nations is a scandal and it is a curse for future generations. If we're supposed to leave an inheritance for our children's children, what does that say about us as individuals or even us as nations if all we're doing is leaving debt and asking our children to pick up the tab? I believe morality is glaringly missing in this circumstance. While we cannot easily solve a national debt problem, we should pray for revival in the nation that somehow God might have mercy before it's too late. When it comes to us as individuals, in a family or even in a church, let's just be honorable and clear out all debt, loose ends, and missing pieces. Let's take care of business so we're not leaving a mess 
for those that follow. Paul says, I'm loved less the more I love. I mean, it's rather bizarre, but I think what happens here is even though most Corinthians were on site, it's hard not to be affected by a noisy, distracting minority, which is attitudinally challenged, to say the least. In other words, bad attitude. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This may be part of the explanation of why Paul, who's done so much for this church at Corinth, is loved less the longer they go on. In verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 12, he says, But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. What on earth is this? (laughs) It needs to be acknowledged that the apostle was not a financial burden to the Corinthians in any way. His detractors called him crafty by catching them in deceit and cunning. That's really what's going on here. Of course, Paul doesn't deceive. Of course, Paul isn't crafty. Paul is apostle walking in the light of Christ, an open book for anyone to read. He's sometimes quoting his detractors, almost making it sound like it's him saying it, but it's not. He's just putting them in their place by using their own words against them. 2 Corinthians 12, 17. Did I take advantage of any of you by going of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus. In other words, we'll get to that in a moment. Did he take advantage of any of them by those whom he sent? Well, who did he send? He sent Titus. He sent the other brothers who are unnamed. Did any of those whom I sent to you take advantage? Show the evidence if you can. And the answer is no, they didn't take advantage. And no, they can't show any evidence of that kind of thing. Now, verse 17, 18, I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Didn't we walk in the same spirit? And didn't we walk in the same steps? So again, he's amplifying what is said in verse 17. When he sent Titus and the anonymous brother to Corinth, did they take advantage of the Corinthians? Did they milk them for all they were worth financially and otherwise, including in resource? You know the answer. The answer is no, they didn't. They were just as honorable and self-sacrificing as Paul was because they walked in the same spirit and they walked in the same steps as Paul walked. As we come to verse 19, 2 Corinthians 12, again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. All right, that's a good point. Everything they did, they did to build up the church, not to take care of themselves. This is, again, an important point that needs to be emphasized. Do we have to excuse or apologize for our conduct towards you? Absolutely not. And then Paul goes on to say, I speak before God in Christ, meaning, when you use that phrase, I am telling you the pure, unadulterated, whole truth. Before heaven and earth, I'm saying to you, everything we did for you in Corinth, we did for your edifying, and no, we didn't take one penny for our own support, our own care, we took care of ourselves. Frankly, this is an exceptional situation. I mean, think of it this way. Unless you're a missionary in a very poor country, the fact is that all churches should be taking care of their ministers. It's just a fact. If you don't want to take care of your ministers, chances are you won't have a minister. If you don't take care of your minister, and let's say they have a Paul Titus-like attitude, and they're just going to be a selfless and demand very little, the fact is if they are a good, faithful individual, but the church is not faithful, 
to take care, then God will move that person on to a better place where they will be taken care of. Because God cares for us in the natural as he cares for us in the spiritual. This is one of the things we need to bear in mind. These people did everything for the edifying of the church at Corinth. And then verse 20 is important, not easy to understand, but we will learn it. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, murmurings, conceit, tumults. So what is Paul saying? To understand this verse, he says that as a loving spiritual father, he felt compelled to send Titus and company before he himself went simply because he knew the Corinthians would be in bad shape, and they would be in bad shape because of all these things that were listed, the debates, the envying, the strife, the raw, the backbiting, arrogance, disorder. In that case, he would have had to use the full force of his apostolic rod and authority, and it would be painful for all. It's like the parent disciplining their child and saying, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. That's a good way to understand 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. And Paul is basically wanting to sort things out because if the church can persist in these terrible behavior patterns, they're not going to be built up or edified. They're going to be torn down. Correction is meant to be restorative, not punitive, but it's still correction. Final verse, verse 21. Lest if I came to you before my right time, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented. Repented of what? Repented of their fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, which they have committed. All right, so Paul is saying he would be humbled simply by humbling them through strong correction. That's really what it's saying. So, yes, if he came too soon, everybody would be humbled. They will be humbled by correction. He'd be humbled by having to give the full hand of it. Uncleanness implies they were clueless about sanctification and holiness, and perhaps worse. Other scandalous conducts include fornication, which, friends, is a real no-no. The Bible is very clear on this issue, and the price that is paid for persistence in this sin is frightfully high. It's not even worth it. Just read Revelation 21, 8 and Revelation 22:15, just to get a sneak preview. Also, there's lasciviousness or lewdness, meaning crude and offensive behavior in a sexual way. None of these things should be tolerated in a church. So, the lesson is entitled, I am ready to come. And our lesson for life is this. When it comes to sin in the church, the wise leaders knows when and how to speak and act. Remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations Education, and thank you for liking our page. You can also go to our homepage to subscribe to the free monthly Issachar teaching letter, helping you to become future ready through articles on scripture, victorious living, and current events in the light of God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for what we read today. Paul is ready to come. We hear the heart of a father, the heart of an apostle. May we walk in the same steps as he, and may we care for others in a way that brings glory to your name. In Jesus our Lord, amen. 
Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.